<laughs> Thanks, Melinda. <clears throat> All right. Um, we're going to finish up a series today in, uh, on service. And so today is the last of our four that we're, be, that we're using to kick off uh, the fall. But let's do a little bit of background first before we get into um, the text. So this is the world of the New Testament, as, uh, as many of you may know. This is the Mediterranean Sea, Italy, Greece, Turkey, all that sort of stuff. Uh, if you've been reading along in our uh, Readers United groups uh, over the last few months or a few weeks, uh, you know that we're reading through the Gospels. But you may say, hey, it's weird that we're not reading them in order, right? Because we started with Mark. Now we're just finishing Matthew. Tomorrow we finish Matthew. Then we're going to do John, and then we're going to do Luke. And that's not the order that they're in the Bible. One of the reasons we're doing this is because I thought it was really important that we read the book of Luke and the book of Acts right next to each other. Because the book of Luke and the book of Acts are essentially one two-part book. <laughs> there's, it's, it's a continuation. It's a sequel. Luke knew uh, that there's always, you know, there's always room for a sequel. Get, get that box office money coming. Uh, so when you read Luke and Acts together as a whole, there are some themes that begin to come out. One of the major themes that we see uh, in Luke and Acts together is the gospel, the message of Jesus moving from Jerusalem, where Jesus was and Jesus died, to the city of Rome. We've talked about this before. Jerusalem was a, a small-ish regional capital, uh, but Rome during the time of the New Testament, was the capital of the world, of the Western world. This was like the center of everything. Everything happened in Rome. And so Luke and Acts together tell us about how the gospel, the message of Jesus, or the Christian faith, moved from Jerusalem to Rome. And there's this movement, there's this globalization of the Christian faith. And this is really important for us to see. Uh, it's really important for us to understand because we realize that from the beginning uh, of the Christian faith, it's always been about a movement. It's always been about getting the gospel to other places, other nations, other ethnicities, other cultures. Okay? The gospel has never been about one particular place. There's no center to the Christian faith. Uh, as far as Protestants are concerned, at least, there's no center holy city that's more Christian than any other place because the Christian faith is a massively global faith. And so today we're going to continue our series on service. We're going to finish it today, and we're going to talk about what does it look like to be people uh, who take seriously the call to serve the body of Christ, but to do so on a global scale. We've talked about serving uh, within the local church. We've talked about serving within our communities and our neighborhoods. Now we're going to talk about what does it mean to serve outside of our communities and what that looks like. And so we're going to kind of follow along uh, the journey of Paul in the book of Acts, and that'll help us get a picture of what, uh, what the Christian faith has always been about. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, I got, uh, we got two uh, students coming down the aisle with Bibles. So raise your hand and they will hand you one. Uh, so you can follow along with us. But we're going to start in Acts chapter 16. If you're using one of these guys, that is page 771. And I am, so I'm going to find 771. All right, so in the briefest, uh, the briefest of briefest summaries of the book of Acts, um, it starts with 
the Christians in Jerusalem. It starts with these early followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. Uh, but pretty soon, things take a drastic change when God calls this man named Saul, uh, who was basically an enemy of the Christian faith. He went out of his way to kill people who were Christians because he was Jewish, and he felt like the Christians were uh, not properly understanding the Jewish faith. So he went out of his way to kill them, to destroy them, to stop their message. But Paul, or, but God calls this man Saul and says, hey, you are going to be my servant. You're going to be my servant to take this gospel to the kings and the, the nations around you, not just to Israel, but to all around the world. So Paul, Saul, his name is later changed to Paul, becomes this central figure uh, who is given the task of bringing the gospel all around the Mediterranean world, which was the known world at the time. And so the book of Acts follows Paul, the second half of the book of Acts follows Paul as he goes on these journeys and travels around uh, meeting people, planting churches, telling people about the message of Jesus. Uh, Generally, we see Paul going on three distinct journeys. We call them Paul's three missionary journeys in which he's traveling around the world. The first one is kind of regional. It's, It's kind of just local in the area around Jerusalem to the north, but it's the second journey where things really get crazy. Uh, And so in Acts chapter 16, Paul is in the beginning stages of his second missionary journey. And so uh, let's jump in just to verse 1. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. So here's a map, uh, and that is about that big dot right there. (laughs) That's about uh, where these cities of Derbe and Lystra are. Are okay. So this is still in modern day Turkey. This isn't that far away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is down there uh, in the lower, this side, whatever, right, left, right, that side. Um, so it's not too far away. Uh, but this is where Paul is in Acts chapter sixteen, and he meets this kid named Timothy. We don't know a whole lot about Timothy except for the fact that the people in the city speak well of Timothy. That he is. Uh, Well, we'll see that in verse 2. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So Timothy has this reputation. Um, Likely he he was taught by his mother and his grandmother. We're we're told that later on in the scriptures. Uh, But he has a deep understanding of the faith. And there's something about him, uh, something about his motivation or something about his ability to communicate or something about his desire. Whatever it is, the people in those cities look to Timothy as this young guy who has a lot of potential to share the message of Jesus. And so Paul gets to this city uh, and he begins to to hear about this kid named Timothy. In verse 3, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Then verse verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in their numbers. So in Acts chapter 16, Paul is at the beginning of a second missionary journey. He goes to the city named Lystra. There's this kid named Timothy. Uh, who everybody speaks well about, and Paul's like, I got to bring this guy with me. And so he does whatever he needs to do uh, in order to bring Timothy along on this journey. And we're told that as they traveled, as they uh, left Lystra and began to work westward, uh, that people are hearing the message of Jesus, 
People are having their lives transformed by the grace uh, that is offered in the message of Jesus. People are given hope. People are given freedom uh, from their past. People are given uh, this chance to look forward to something. Uh, People's lives are changed because of the gospel and partly because Timothy joins Paul on his journeys. Now, uh, we often leave, right? We live in a culture that is very mobile in which we can leave our city, we can leave our home, we can leave our country, right? We could go anywhere in the world in like two days. We could be at anywhere in the world that we wanted to be. And wherever we are, most likely we could uh, call home and talk to our parents, or we could go find a McDonald's and eat some of that beautiful, delicious, healthy American food, right? Uh, Even though our world is massive, (laughs) Uh, we still have connections and we still have the ability uh, to be in touch with our home. Uh, In the first century world, before telephones, before McDonald's, can you imagine that? Uh, Before all of these things, to leave your city, to journey with Paul on this trip, that was a huge, huge decision that Timothy made. This wasn't Timothy like, yeah, I'll just go, you know, I'll, I'll FaceTime mom later. This was a huge decision for Timothy to step away from his home. He probably had a a good future lined up. He probably had a good job. He probably had all the comforts ready for him at home, but he was willing to step out and to go with Paul and to travel around the world because he understood that there was something about him that could be used in other places. He had the ability to communicate. He had something about him and his connection to the gospel where he was like, I can be used somewhere else. And so he did. So he left. And so this is what we often think of when we think about people serving, the God, serving God on a global scale, right? We think of missionaries. We think of people leaving their home to go and do this. And this was definitely part of what that looks like. And so we're going to look at three ways today. Uh, that people that we can serve on a global scale. And this is the first one, simply to go. The gospel was promoted. Uh, Timothy was able to serve because he was willing to go. He was willing to leave his city, his home, his family, all of the things that made a home a home. And he was willing to step out and to go to a new place in order to bring the gospel. So that's the first thing uh, we see is that Timothy uh, was able to go, and that's one way that we can serve. Now, uh, as uh, the second missionary journey continued, uh, it took a pretty important step when Paul made it uh, to this city. This is right on uh, essentially the edge of uh, the end of Asia in the beginning of Europe. Things kind of get a little blurry in there. Um, But this was a really big moment for the gospel. uh, Because up until this time, Uh, the message of Jesus had essentially stayed in this Asia Minor, Middle East area, okay? People probably had not heard about who Jesus was or what Jesus did or any of the things about the Christian faith outside of this region. But Paul gets there. Uh, He wanted to go north into Turkey, uh, but the Holy Spirit prevented him from doing so. And he finally gets to this place called Troas, Uh, And he hears this call, this vision that says, I need you to go to Europe. And so Paul says, all right, we're going to go to Europe. (laughs) And so Paul and his crew travel through Europe, uh, and they go all throughout the region, visiting cities like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, right? And eventually they get to a place called Corinth. 
In the book of Acts, you can read all about these, these events and all these exciting things that happen as they travel through. But this is what it said in Acts 16 when it said daily uh, the churches were strengthened and they were added to the numbers. This is where that is happening all throughout uh, this Mediterranean region as they go through Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. Uh, one of the longest stops on Paul's second journey is when he gets to Corinth. He camps out there and he hangs out in Corinth for a while. While he's there, Paul does the thing that many of us uh, are many of us know Paul for, right? Your New Testament, if you flip through your New Testament after the book of Acts, what you're going to come across is a series of letters that were written by Paul to the early Christians in the early church. And it's in these letters that we have the foundation of the Christian faith based on who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. Paul begins to interpret that and Paul begins to teach what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so we have all of these letters. When Paul is in Corinth, he writes a couple letters, uh, and he writes them back to the churches that he had visited. And so, uh, turn with me to the book of Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul is writing one of these letters back to the Christians in the city of Thessalonica, where he had visited on his way down to Corinth. Okay, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, page 828, if you're in one of these guys, um, as Paul begins to get towards the end of his letter, uh, he's kind of wrapping things up, he's giving some final thoughts, uh, and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says this, we'll just start in verse 1, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. I love that statement. Uh, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love in Christ's perseverance. Okay, so Paul is somewhere else in the world right now, right? Remember, there's no cars, there's no trains, there's no airplanes. This is all walking, and so the distance is relative. Paul might as well be on the other side of the world uh, from the people he's writing to. But he writes to these Christians who are not with him, and he says in verse 1, I want you guys to be praying for us because your prayers, Paul believes, will enable us to serve here in this place. Even though you're not with us, even though you're miles and miles away, even though we can't see you or touch you, even though you can't do physically anything to help out my ministry, what Paul is confident of is that it is the prayers of the people living in the city hundreds of miles away, it is their prayers that are going to enable him and help him to serve. I think sometimes when we think about prayer, especially when we think about praying for those who are on the mission field, uh, we kind of think of it as like um, the, the cop-out, right? <laughs> They're like, we want you to join us, we want you to give to us, and we want you to pray. Or sometimes they'll like try to make it, make it seem better, and they'll start out with this. They'll say, first and foremost, we really want your prayers, but we also want you to give money. And we're all thinking, yeah, you're just saying that, you know, you really want us to just give you your money. Uh, but I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. 
This is a short letter, uh, which means that everything that Paul has in this letter is intentional uh, and has a deep value to it because it's so short, because he, he didn't put a lot of content. The stuff that he did put is important. And as he's wrapping things up, he could very easily have just finished the letter at that point and be like, all right, see you guys, give us money, we're out. But instead, what does he say? Pray for us because your prayers have a very real and tangible impact in the ministry that we are doing. In other words, your prayers is the same as you serving. Your prayers are your service. And so when we look at how uh, people traditionally throughout the, the times of the scriptures have served globally. Uh, we see Timothy who goes. Then we see Paul writing to the Thessalonians and he says to pray. And it's not just a second, you know, a second level ministry. But for Paul, this is important. This is valuable. This is significant. So going, people who are willing to go, people who are willing to pray. This is how we see the gospel beginning to unfold. Now, uh, Paul continues on uh, his journeys. He, he makes it around, and then he goes back again. Eventually, he finds himself in Jerusalem, uh, back where this whole thing started. Uh, but while he's there, Paul gets arrested. Um, the, the people don't like what he's doing, and, and he gets arrested. But through that arrest, Paul invokes his Roman citizenship, and he says, hey, I'm a Roman Part of my rights as a Roman is that if I'm under arrest, I get to appeal to Caesar. And so, by appealing to Caesar, Paul finds himself, guess where? In Rome. (laughs) Remember, uh, the gospel gospel of Luke and the book of Acts show the movement from Jerusalem to Rome. Paul eventually does find himself in the city of Rome. But he's not there as a missionary standing on the, on the street corners or, you know, doing all these great, exciting things. Paul finds himself in Rome as a prisoner, <laughs> and he's under house arrest while he's there. And for a lot of us, we would look at that and we'd say, okay, well, Paul kind of succeeded, but mostly he failed because he's in prison. And missionaries in prison are probably not the most effective missionaries there are. But Paul, in his letters that he writes from prison, says the exact opposite thing. He says, the fact that I'm in prison actually has served to advance my ministry. See, because Paul, in prison, has the opportunity to talk to people uh, who work for Caesar He's able to spread the message of Jesus to some of the guards that are guarding him. I'm sure he annoyed them uh, talking about this Jesus guy. But Paul looks at his situation as a prisoner. He says, hey, this is awesome. I'm not just a prisoner, but I'm a missionary, and I'm serving here in prison in a way that I otherwise would not have been able to do. Okay? So Paul's in prison, and he writes these letters from prison back to the churches uh, that, had, that he had visited, and back to the churches who he knew who was praying for him, he says, hey, uh, listen guys, I'm in prison, but things are going good. I just want to keep you updated. I want to keep you encouraged. One of those letters that he writes is the letter to the Philippians. Now, uh, next week, we are going to be back in Philippians. Uh, if you were with us in the spring, we spent two months in the book of Philippians, and now we're going to come back. It's going to be the equivalent of when that uh, friend from high school, uh, you know, pops up on Facebook, and you're like, oh, I kind of remember 
that person and you start looking at their pictures like, oh yeah, I liked that person. That's what Philippians is going to be starting next week. Um, that was a good Facebook joke. Come on, guys. <laughs> Millennials. <laughs> it's a Snapchat joke. Um, so anyways, we're going to be back in Philippians next week, and we're going to start Philippians, two, or Philippians 3 and Philippians 4, and that's going to bring us up to the Advent season. Um, but I want to jump into Philippians 1, and I'm just realizing right now that I got up here, and I was supposed to let Dave Schick come up and read Scripture, and he was going to read from Philippians. So sorry about that, Dave. But at least I'm remembering now. When Dave was up, when Dave came up here, as you remember, right before I got up to preach, he uh, he read you from Philippians chapter four. <laughs> so turn there real quick, Philippians chapter four, and and I'm sure you can remember the voice of Dave as he uh, as he said this in chapter four, verse ten. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am need. I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned that the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And then in verse 14 it says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Now we'll get deeper into this uh, in the next couple months when we get into Philippians. This passage, uh, connected with some of the other things that Paul says, flip back to Philippians 1, uh, have led many people to believe that Philippians itself as a book, amongst the other things that Paul is doing, is essentially a thank you letter that Paul is writing back to these Christians in Philippi because of the fact that they have been sending him supplies. They have been sending him gifts and money and things that have enabled him to live in this house while he's under house arrest. Food so he can eat, uh, paper perhaps, and, and, or papyrus and pens so that he could be writing his letters. The Philippians are sending stuff to Paul. And Paul is now writing back to them. And so we really see this right at the beginning in Philippians chapter 1. When he says uh, in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for you, for all of you. I always pray with joy, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When we went through this passage the first time, we talked about this word koinonos or koinonia. Uh, a koinonos, uh, Paul uses uh, to talk about somebody who is serving alongside with him. Okay, so let's wrap our heads around, around what's happening here. Paul is writing back to these Christians who are not with him physically have not been with him physically for some time. In fact, he's in prison in Rome, hundreds of miles away, across waters, way out of their lives. Yet these Christians have been sending him supplies and have been sending him gifts and have been sending him money. And so Paul writes back to them, not just to say thank you, but to say, you guys are partnering with me as I serve. You guys are serving alongside me by the things that you have given 
and sent to me in the gifts that you have brought my way. So when Paul talks to these Philippians, he's thanking them for the gifts, yet it's not just saying thank you. Paul is recognizing that it's through their gifts uh, that they are serving with him. And so, throughout the, the journeys of Paul, we see that people are willing to go. They're willing to serve by leaving their homes to go to other places to bring the gospel. We see that people are serving uh, when they pray. This is a very real, intangible thing for Paul. It's not just some second base, second base, second level uh, way of service, but this is a real type of service. But then we also see uh, that Paul understands that when people give, to him, even though they're not with him, that they are serving alongside him. Okay? So we got these three things. Go, pray, give. Somebody should write that book, right? Go, pray, give. I'm sure there's like a million sermons that end with these three points, but you know what? We're going with it. Uh, we never said we're, we're original. Uh, but going, praying, giving. Here are three very real ways in which the early Christians served outside of their church and outside of their community. And so now let's bring it here, and let's talk about us. Because what we want to do, what we want to end with, uh, is talking about very real ways that we can be doing these things. Um, This sermon series, uh, I I have found, and we didn't really set out to be, set this out to be this way, but this has been kind of a challenging series. Um, A lot of the things that I've found in the scriptures have been challenging me, and so, therefore, I challenge you with them as well. Um, and, and I know that maybe there are some times when we feel uncomfortable, or maybe there are some times when we feel like we're being pressured into doing things or whatever. Never the intent here. The intent is simply to preach from the Scriptures, see what the Scriptures say, let God work in your hearts and in a way that challenges you. Uh, and so here we are again uh, at a place where we're being challenged. So let's talk about what that looks like for us. The first one, Go. Hmm. Um, this is probably the hardest one, <laughs> right? Uh, because this is the one that involves leaving. This is the one that involves stepping out of the things that make you comfortable. This means stepping away from family and stepping away from friends. Over the last few months, we've had several young people and young families standing here in front of us telling us how they are leaving their homes to travel to South America and Central America, to travel to Southeastern Asia. And we look at these people and we're like, wow, that's awesome. I'm glad they're doing it so I don't have to. And there is something to that, right? We're not all called to go, but maybe you are. Maybe you are called to leave. Maybe you're like Timothy and there's something about you. Maybe you're not a good speaker, but uh, you're good with organization, Maybe you're not a good teacher, but you're good uh, with writing, or you're good with people skills, or you're good with working with people who are in really hard places, and you can empathize, and you can be there with them. Maybe you are like Timothy, and you can be used someplace else. And that's a hard thing for us to think about, because we like being here, right? We like our homes, we like our families, we like all of this stuff. But this traditionally has been a way that the Christian, the early Christians and us today have served. And maybe for you, you need to open your mind and open the possibilities that God is calling you to go. To be that person who leaves 
in order to bring the gospel somewhere else. And that somewhere else doesn't have to be in another country or another culture with another language or other you know, weird foods that you don't like to eat. Uh, maybe that somewhere else is a different region or a different city or a different state, a place where you can be used to bring the gospel, where you can be used in some way to impact the churches just like Timothy did. So when we talk about go, let's not just automatically say, okay, well, that's not me. I'll wait for the next two. (laughs) But really ask yourself and really allow yourself to be open to that possibility. I don't think that all of us are called. I know that all of us are not called to go, but maybe you are. Maybe you just need to be open to that. Uh, Maybe that's not a long-term thing. Maybe that's a short-term thing. Every year we send a group from here to Puerto Rico and where, uh, where they're able to serve God in a different country, in a different culture, uh, by being there for 10 days. Maybe that's something that you are called to do, to join them in that trip. Mitch has been keeping his ears open for an opportunity for our youth group to go on a mission trip. Uh, maybe that is something that you uh, can go on as a, as a helper, or maybe some of you students, that's a way that you can be uh, involved in this aspect of going. But that's the first one, go. Don't think that's necessarily somebody else's job either. Maybe it's you. Second one, pray. Uh, this can be kind of nebulous, right? We can just pray for the missionaries, right? That's good. We just cover all of them in one fell swoop. Um, I think there's also power in specific prayers, praying for specific missionaries or for specific ministries and for their specific needs. At Celebration, we have three missionary families that we support on a regular basis. Uh, Harry and Kayla Alicia. Uh, used to be Kayla Fosnott. Now there's two of them. Uh, Harry and Haley, Haley, whatever, Harry, Harry and Kaylee, Kayla, you know what I'm saying, just go, go back there. Uh, the other one, uh, Kennedy and Sophia Simtoye, uh, who are Tanzanian, and they're serving in Central Africa, uh, and uh, Titus and Christy Lloyd, uh, who are also in Central Africa. These are the three missionaries that we support on a regular basis, and these are three missionaries that we can be praying for specifically on a regular basis. As you leave today, there's a table in the back, and on that table there are prayer cards for each of these families. I encourage you to take one, two of them, three of them, trade them with your friends, get them autographed. Um, Have these prayer cards as a way to remind you and encourage you to pray for those ministries and pray for those specific needs. Because as Paul says, this isn't just a second-rate way of serving, but this is serving. When you pray for those who are somewhere else bringing the gospel, it's like you are a part of their ministry. So maybe you're called to go. You are called to pray. (laughs) So grab a prayer card and pray for our missionaries. Um, And the third one, of course, is to give. Um, In the last couple years, our church has incrementally increased our regular support for missionaries, and this has been so cool to see. A few years ago, somebody approached me and said, hey, I want to make an anonymous matching donation in order to kickstart Celebration Bible Church into regular missions giving. And since that time, we have been able to support these three missionaries on a a sustainable level, uh, which is so cool to see. And it's so cool to see us involved in that, and we want to continue to do that. And I want to challenge you If you're not giving regularly to missions, none of this money goes to us. None of this money stays in this church, but it all goes out onto the mission field. If you're not giving regularly to missions, consider upping that and consider starting now, even if it's simple, $5 a month, $3 a month, $10 a month. 
that's enough to make an impact in the lives of these people. And like Paul says, that's a good way to partner. And so we continue to do this sustaining ministry. But it's also sometimes really cool uh, to give two specific projects in which we can see the tangible impact that our gifts are giving. And so uh, every year here at Celebration Bible Church, we embark on a special missions giving project. In the past, we've given uh, to World Vision. We've helped to buy goats and chickens for villages and, and people who need them. Uh, we are going to be starting our uh, fall missions project a little bit early this year. Uh, and we're going to be supporting uh, an organization called Village Schools International. Um, some of you may be familiar with Village Schools International. Steve and Susan Vinton used to be members of Celebration Bible Church, and they were people who were willing to go. <laughs> and they're now out uh, in Central Africa, Central East Africa, serving. And so we got a quick video uh, that we're going to show here to let you know a little bit about Village Schools International, and then I'll tell you about the way that we are specifically going to serve them. All right, so Village Schools International, uh, they make it their goal, as you saw in that video, to empower villages to build schools so that then they can empower the people going to that school uh, to learn basic skills, but also to learn the message of Jesus and then to reshape their own communities because of that. We were approached by Steve and Susan telling us that one of the biggest needs that they have is for donations for the building materials for the roofs. As you can see, that's the only thing that they do on donations is the roofs. Uh, and so we said, yes, that is something that we want to do. In fact, we already gave as a missions committee last year to do a roof, and now we want to do it, this again. But this time we want to make this a project that we as a community are involved with because when we give, uh, we are involved in a real way with the ministry that's happening. So, as you can see here, we have a village school <laughs> built by our master craftsman, Tim Knight. Uh, not me, as, as, as Brian would have you believe. Uh, we, it's our goal to roof this school. When we roof this school in its completion, we will have raised enough money to buy a real roof for a real classroom uh, for one of the schools that Village School International is involved in. So if you can put up the next slide, Mary Beth. Uh, our goal is $1,700. That's how much it costs to put a roof on one of these buildings, which is a relatively small amount, and it's an amount that I know that we can do. Uh, and our target date to get this done by is Thanksgiving. In fact, on our Thanksgiving Eve service, the day before Thanksgiving, we will uh, fill you in on the results of, of how this, this happened. And so this is what we're going to do. Because when we give, we serve. And we as a body of Christ are called to be a part of ministry, not here in our own church only, not in our local community only, not even in our own country, but all around the world. And this is a tangible way that we can see that happen. And so if you're already giving to missions on a regular basis, keep it up, continue to do so. Uh, but let's also make this a focus and this a project. And so if you want to give by check, you can make uh, just a notation on the check. If you want to give by cash starting next week, we'll have little envelopes that you can put the cash in there um, so that we make sure that all of that money goes directly to our roof project. As we progress, as we said, we're going to have roof, roofing material added to this building. And so we'll be able to see in a very tangible way how we are progressing and how we are serving. And so we're doing this stuff not out of obligation. We're doing this stuff not because we want to look cool by putting a roof on a school, but we're doing this stuff because uh, we are called to serve. 
Uh, we are called to serve globally, and sometimes that looks like going, sometimes it looks like praying, sometimes it looks like giving. Which of these things is God calling you to be a part of? In which of these ways are you going to challenge yourself to serve on a global level? Because this is something that we as a church are committed to, uh, because we, as Mitch reminded us last week, are people who have been served by Christ, and so now we are called to serve others. Let's stand together, and uh, let's close our service with a word of prayer. God, we are so grateful that we're part of something that's not contained in any particular city or place or within any particular people group. God, it is so amazing to be part of a faith that is absolutely global uh, and is absolutely moving. And so we pray that we can be a part of that in whatever small or large way that looks like. Maybe it means going, maybe it means praying, maybe it means giving. Um, God, help us to be people who are committed to looking beyond our own walls and beyond our own community uh, to serving you uh, and to serving the gospel all around the world. So we pray all of these things in your globally holy name. Amen. Grace be with you.